You're listening to Wise Women Speak with Linda Pritcher and Lana Bastianucci, where we give voice to the wisdom in women. If you'd like to reach us with your thoughts about the podcast or you're interested in coaching, please contact us at hello at wisewomenspeakpodcast.com. Hi, Linda. Hi, Lana. Lana and I are here in studio this morning to speak with Anne Flagg. Uh, Anne is a licensed independent clinical social worker in private practice in Beverly Farms, Massachusetts. Her work as a psychotherapist centers around helping school-age children and their parents connect with their innate well-being. Welcome, Anne. We're happy to have you with us this morning. Great to see both of you. So Lana and I were, um, were talking earlier about the work that you do and we're quite fascinated with the fact that you've chosen to work with children. And we wanted to know more about your career. How did you get to that? What motivated you to do that? Were you doing something else earlier in your life? Or was this always a passion? Well, it's interesting you should ask if it was always a passion. I was somebody who, at a very young age, kind of knew I was going to be working with people and helping people. And I, I actually, I laugh because my very first client was an eight-year-old uh, uh, classmate in third grade, third or fourth grade, whose parents were divorcing. And I remember speaking with her on the phone every evening about uh, the issues she was encountering. And it, it kind of cracks me up now because uh, I call her my very first client. Probably when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to do this kind of work, and uh, I got a little off track during my education when I went off to college and didn't really end up studying. Um, I was a, a, a major in English and a minor in psychology, and those two should have been flipped. But in my, And then I went off and I worked in advertising and sales and customer service training and things like that. And, I, and that was people work, so I loved it. But I never felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And so uh, I had the f- fortunate experience after I took a little time off when I had my son of getting involved with a mediation program in, on the North Shore. And the first time I went in to mediate, I sat down and I felt like this overwhelming feeling of this is the first time I've done anything and I wasn't nervous. It just felt totally natural. And I just thought, this is what it feels like to be doing something that's just so you, you know, my true self. And so I had the fortunate experience of working with that mediation program. It was all volunteer work and I was on the board and we trained high school kids and uh, middle school kids, how to be mediators. So I just, I just loved that whole experience. And and during that time, a couple of the people who were on the board with me were also social work professors. And I had always, in the back of my mind, even when my child was a baby, I took a course to maybe someday go and get my master's degree. They kept saying, "You really should go," you know. And I said, "Yeah, I think." So I, I went to Salem State School of Social Work, which I loved, and I felt like I was finally with my people. And uh, for about seven years, I worked for a clinic after graduating, saw all kinds of clients, children, parents, uh, people with difficult mental health issues, chronically mentally ill, uh, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of, uh, and I always, you know, it would be sort of the client would come in my office and I would look at the the chart and I would think, oh, what am I going to do? Like, they have this, they'd have a diagnosis and I'd say, they have this, what am I going to do? And so I always felt like I had to be a specialist in all these different issues, that problems that people have with their mental health. And so 
it was wonderful work. I got such a great experience, background, and working with all kinds of people. But I really loved working with the kids, and I loved working. And a lot of people were not wanting to work with children. And so I had an opportunity to start working with some friends up in Peabody, Massachusetts, who allowed me to share some space with them. And they were thrilled to have somebody on board who was willing to take on children as clients. So they helped me sort of launch my my business that way. Why is it that people don't want to work with children? I think what happens is they, first of all, if you go to uh, a social work school that has, or, or any kind of clinical training, you get a kind of a broad view. And a lot of times people go and work in, in areas specific to like eating disorders or you know, major mental illness or something like that. The work with children is messy, and you're working with a system. So you're not only working with the children, you're working with parents, you're working with counselors, you're, and, and so it's a lot of work. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons, and I think people don't know what to do. They try and take adult, you know, the way you work with adults and bring it down to kids, and kids are innately, they, they just want to play, you know, at certain ages, and you can connect with them sort of at their level. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that people would try as adults Mm -hmm. behavior or working with children in a way that would be the way that you would work with an adult. You have to be willing, like people who choose a profession of kindergarten work Mm -hmm. or elementary school teachers, Mm -hmm. have to really love getting messy, right? Right. And playing in that world. Well, one of the one of the coolest things about working with kids is connecting with their innate health. They they're very close to it. We we sort of we grow up slowly losing that connection, and sort of younger kids, it's a lot quicker to to get back there. And so it's it's actually not as hard. <laughs> I think I think it's more fun. Yeah, and, that's why you do yeah, what you do. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I've discovered recently is. I really love this idea of, of the parallel process of what happens working with children and their parents because oftentimes kids are brought to me because they're having some behavior. And the behavior comes from some thinking, then they have a feeling, then they have a behavior. And the parents want to attack it from the behavior end. And I see that I can peel it back and help them see it's in, it's in their thinking but what's happening at the same time is the parents are also struggling with their thinking and feeling and reaction to the kid's reaction. <laughs> and so I've always seen this, but it's become a new focus of what I'm doing. And I love it because it feels like a win-win. It's like uh, it's a twofer. You know, they come in and they get help with, with their child, but also they, don't, they see how the this distress they're having is really related to you know, how they're, how they're reacting to their child. That would make a huge difference in family dynamic. Yeah. So when they leave your office, they're both kind of learning from the experience that they've had with you. And I gather they can kind of test it out. Can you give us an example of an experience that you've had with a client where you worked with a child and you worked with a family and it really made a difference? I was working with a little boy. He was having... Uh, an experience of feeling frustrated. And the behavior he was having was pitching a fit, you know, a, a tantrum of some sort. And 
it's interesting because the mom and he came in and uh, she was very open to wanting to understand how her own reactions were part of this system. And so when we talked about what he was experiencing and then we talked about what she was experiencing in reaction to him. And just showing people that, you know, I don't, I don't know what they'll do with that. <laughs> you know, hopefully that will help her be less reactive. Because I know for children, some of the stuff that we make a big deal, we don't have to. And so hopefully she will see and maybe something will shift. And, and I feel like, hey, if it helps her have less distress, that's fabulous. And I can't make somebody see something. So for the child, I trust when this all makes sense to him, he'll see it. Can I circle back to what you were talking about, innate health? Is this something that you always saw in people? So when you were that little girl, I'm imagining Lucy from Charlie Brown, you know, advising your schoolmate on the phone. Could you see her health then? Or... Was this something you didn't even, you were just speaking with her? That's an awesome question. You know, I think I was always a very compassionate, empathetic person. It's interesting because when I have kids come in my office who are feeling frustrated or sad because they're being what they would call bullied at school or, or treated poorly by classmates, I always tell them about an experience that I had in like first grade when I came home and told my mom something like that. And she said, you don't have to be so impacted. You know, she didn't use those words, but she basically said, you know, if they're behaving that way, something's going on in their life that they're behaving that way. This isn't about you. And that was so powerful for me. It helped me see that separateness and that I didn't have to twist myself up into a pretzel, you know, to please all these people. Not that I didn't have a lot of that, as we know, you know, people-pleasing stuff growing up or whatever. So I, I had this piece of me that was very compassionate in a way that was, I, I, I just would always see that if somebody was hurting or whatever, and I would just be kind to people because I felt like that was what you did. But I don't know if I even understood that idea of the innate health at that age. I don't know if that's what I was looking at or I guess I trusted she was I did trust she was going to be okay ultimately. I did not worry about her. So maybe I did understand that. Was there a moment in the course of all of your studies or growing Mm -hmm. up was there a pivotal moment when you sort of went oh my god everybody's okay. This is kind of a cool story. When I was probably around nine or ten my mother was very good at sort of noting, like, oh, the, the art would be good for this person. So she set me up with some art classes on Saturday with a wonderful place in Ipswich. It was actually a novitiate where this, this sister, St. Vincent, was an artist. And she taught these art classes to kids on Saturday. And being in the presence of Sister St. Vincent was so connecting to my true self that there was something about being around her that made you feel so safe and that everything was going to be okay. I, I know that was such a wonderful, healthy thing to have been around. And so to me, that is that feeling 
is one of those, it's like, oh, that's a Sister St. Vincent feeling, you know, <laughs> life is going to be all right. And who knows what was going on in my life at the time, right? I don't even remember all the, you know, what all the family or whatever was going on. I just remember feeling, she made me feel like I was okay, just as I was. And, you know, and I say she made me, I don't know if she made me, I, in her presence, I felt like that. That's something that you carried forward. Mm. So periodically, does that come up for you now? Like you think about that moment? I, I do, because when I'm, when I'm trying to help kids have their Sister St. Vincent moment, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to help them be in touch with that piece of them that's perfectly okay, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily mention that, but I'm thinking, what is their moment like this? Have they had such an experience? With my athlete clients, you know, their ice hockey players or whatever, we talk about their flow or their zone, and they can get it immediately. I'll say, well, wait a minute. Now, so you're a forward. Is that what you do? Okay, you're, down, you're going down the ice. You're doing this, blah, blah, blah. You take a slap shot. You're not worrying about anything. You're not thinking about the math homework. You're not thinking about no one would sit with me at recess. You know, you're not thinking about any of that. You're just in your zone. And that is the pure innate wisdom, true self, whatever we want to call it. That's that's it. So I, I love to try and connect people with that because we're always looking at what's not there, you know, <laughs> not what is there. Yeah, that you know? is for yep. certain. Yep. We're always looking outside, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And being self-critical. Mm -hmm. What is it? What is it that I don't have? What is it that I do need? Right. And that need gets us it gets us driven to look probably in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. I love what you said earlier that typically, as your training was, people tried to counsel or use therapy with kids the way they would with an adult. Mm -hmm. And it, it sort of the image that came to mind was 15th century paintings where they would always paint the little kids like little adults. And we look at that now and we say, why would they do that? Why, why don't they just let the children be the children? It seems so obvious to us now. And yet you have had to sort of recognize, no, these, these same models, these same structures that we use for adults don't work with kids. Can you talk to how you incorporate play and, and some of the things you do with the children? I've been involved as a play therapist for a while now. And I, I found play therapy and again, sort of felt like I found my people. Uh, the play therapists are incredibly creative and are always looking at children from a developmental stance and see the power of play as the language of children. So what I have found that is, is really kind of cool, whether I have, I have a, what, what I call the sticky sand tray, which is that kinetic sand. So I've found sometimes simply putting that sticky sand tray in front of somebody and letting them create whatever it's going to be for them. An incredible, there's something about moving our hands and getting in with the sand and things like that that allows for that ability to step away from the monkey chatter, right? And that and to open up to whatever is needed. And that that, you know, that wisdom comes through. And so there's something about the power of play because it's kind of like um I was talking earlier to Linda and saying when I was driving up 128, I wasn't doing anything. I was just driving and for me that's a time when my mind becomes free and clear. And so I try and create the atmosphere where their mind can become free and clear. That can be through 
manipulatives, uh, magnets, sand tray, bowling. I mean, I have all kinds, it's all kinds of toys that I use just as a way of connecting with the child. And then if I can create the environment where they can step away from their thinking, I trust that what they need is going to come through. I remember one time being in the office and I was very involved and caught up in my own thinking, a problem in my own life. And the child came in and we, we, he was doing a sand tray, and I have all these little figurines, and basically it was a blank slate, and he went over and picked up, and he had been having problems, uh, some toileting issues. And he was beyond the age where that was considered okay, right, with school and things like that. And he went and took the toilet out of the dollhouse and plucked it in the middle of the sand tray in this whole thing that he had created. And after that, it was sort of the end of that problem. And I don't know what happened other than he had the space to work out whatever was going on for him. I really believe in it. I really believe in the power of play. I believe in the, if we step away, in a lot of cases, the children will figure out whatever it is they're needing to work through. And it and that is that, that trust in that innate wisdom. So that's why I, I love the... When I gained the understanding that, you know, we didn't have to listen to our thinking so much and that, that we could create our own reality moment to moment, it merged beautifully with my understanding of, of working with kids via play. So you could see something at work. You could mm-hmm. see this understanding that you had being actuated in the moment by children, sorting it out through play. Yeah. Yeah, that's really remarkable. I think um, that would be really useful for adults, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I I mean... I'm ready to come and get into the sand. Well, well, that that kind of leads me to this whole idea that meditation and exercise, you know, all these things we can do. For me, actually, it's when I'm reading a lot of different things, it sparks a lot of creativity in me. When we allow ourselves and trust that process, that we can step away from our intellectual thinking and that there's so much more available out there for us, you know, when we're able to do that, that holds true for adults too. And with kids, it's interesting, like some kids, I mean, I would say age nine and up, we have these discussions. I try and sort of explain it to them. This is how the system works, that we... You know, we have this available to us all the time. You know, they're, they're more interested in whatever the issue is in the moment. It's <laughs> not surprising. <laughs> exactly. But I feel like I'm planting that seed, just like Sister St. Vincent pointed me in the direction of my innate wisdom in the way that she did it. There's actually a TED Talk on the power of play for adults and how it, oh, yes. it's so beneficial to yeah. bring that more into your life. I find myself even... If I'm dealing with a heady problem, when I lighten up and I see it in a whimsical way, it really lessens the heaviness of it. And I see it completely differently. Yeah. Yeah. The only way of describing it is, is, is that stepping away from all, all we know. We, the, the stepping away from all that knowledge and the stuff that we think we were supposed to be paying attention to. And oftentimes, the best ideas come from that other space outside of that. That moment where you just step out of what you know into what you don't mm-hmm. and play and be creative, and then solutions arise out of that. I think the more that we, you know, this is something that we see a lot because we work with clients. Mm-hmm. 
in a slightly different way than mm-hmm. what you do. But when people get out of their repetitive thinking, the, the places that they know well, a lot of times their tracks that they repeat, then what opens up for them is possibility, insight, and new understanding of the situation that might be troubling them. When you're working with a child and they just turn to you and say something so profound that it just blows your socks off, can you, if you remember anything, can you I share do. it? I have one experience that I, that, that, happened a couple of years ago that kind of blew me away. I was doing this little exercise um, to try and help a child to point him in the direction of his innate wisdom. And on the out, it was it was two concentric circles. On the outside uh, was sort of all of the feelings that we have that we would generally say we don't like, like frustration and anger and things like that. And on the inside, I was trying to get him to identify what would be some of those Sister St. Vincent feelings, right? (laughs) And so he was so cute because when I said to him, well, what would that feeling be? And he said to me, well, there would be nothing that I need. And I was like, wow. And he was like seven or eight. I mean, it was, it was really, and, and he really, he was a person who was highly sensitive. He was very connected but the world felt very impactful and difficult for him. But he was very close to this understanding, you know, and really uh, got it at a very deep level. That's incredible. When we first started talking, you said children are so close to this Mm -hmm. innate health, and then we start losing it. Mm. What do you mean by that? Is it ever lost? or, Or can you sort of parse that out a bit? Sure. What, what I'm talking about is this, what we would probably call the outside-in nature of life. It's kind of like constantly looking outside of ourselves for the answers. And we pretty much teach kids that from the minute they start school. That it's almost like we say, you're a vessel and you know nothing, and we're going to fill you up for the next X number of years, right? And so if kids buy into that, And I'll have to tell you, the ones that are, quote, successful in school buy into it in a big way, and the ones that push against get in trouble. And so the bottom line is is that we are really socialized and acculturated to look outside of ourselves for the answers. And obviously, the older we get, the more we learn that until we have to unlearn it (laughs) because it's not working for us. And so it is possible to unlearn this or see something for yourself in this. Absolutely. I I think that if we're able to see this connection that we are, that like I said, creating our moment to moment, we're creating our life, we're creating our reality. It's so individualized. We start thinking about things and that's brought to us from our own understanding about life so far. And we bring meaning to that. And we bring a feeling to ourselves And if we can see that we're the one doing that, it's not outside of us. I mean, a lot of times they'll have uh, young fifth graders or whatever say to me, well, she made me, blah, 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 right? And I said, well, we're going to stop right there. Nobody's making that. Let's look at that. How does that really happen? And we tease that out. How does that really work in our mind? They may, that circumstance did happen. You know, she left you out of the lunch table. I get that what you made of that, how you created that thinking for yourself and then bought into it or or decided not to buy into it or whatever is totally within your 
your abilities, your reality that you create for yourself, and the personal responsibility piece. Do you find that um, children readily accept that, or do you find sometimes they feel resistance because it seems so real, this thing that happened that came from the outside? Do you know what it is, Linda? They want, they want to blame somebody because it, it, it's hard to accept that fact because, again, that personal responsibility piece, we, we sort of naturally don't want to have to go there. We want to be able to say, no, 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 that person did that to me. I mean, I do it in my own life with my own family. So, but it's so freeing. Once you gain the understanding, it's very, it doesn't feel like a heavy, personal responsibility sounds like such a heavy thing, right? But it's freeing to know I have that choice and the free will to decide. And so I think it's empowering to kids to see that free will, but it's not something they're so used to the answers coming out outside of themselves. Yeah, once they start in school and then parental influences that you don't know anything, you need to understand how the world works and we're going to tell you. Right, Yeah. right, absolutely. What do you wish parents today knew about kids? I think the most important thing for parents to know is that kids naturally want to be successful. And when I say successful, I mean whatever that means to them, Uh, not in in the culture of success. That they want to get along with people, they want things to work out well, they want to enjoy their day, they want to be joyful. You know, that, that any behavior that they're having is really their innocent attempt to deal with something. That they are not intentionally trying to be disruptive or difficult or things like that. And it's hard as a parent when your child is behaving a certain way not to go there. But when we can see their behavior as an innocent attempt to, to solve a problem, of whatever problem they're having, it's, it's really the best they know in the moment. It's really what, believe it or not, <laughs> you know, when Bobby threw that chair across the room, he thought that was the best solution to the problem. And what do you think that parents could learn from their children? Boy, I, I've learned so much from my own child that I, I think staying curious is probably the biggest lesson is being able to, rather than thinking you know it all, um, I'll tell you, I know this, et cetera, but staying curious and seeing that they're so close to this understanding and that they don't have to be so afraid for their kids. Yeah, and that can take a lot of pressure off being a parent. When you feel that you have to know how they should behave, you have to instruct them in some way, and when you see some variant on that, there's a lot of pressure on a parent to think that they have to do something. Yes. I mean, that, I think that is what, why a lot of people come to me. They see a behavior or their child is saying, I'm unhappy, you know, and they, they're wanting some help. And they are having their own reaction to it, as we discussed before. And it's painful. It, and it's hard. And part of it is respecting struggle and, and seeing that they can trust the child has in them the ability, even if it's difficult, to get through this. And that, you know, it all comes from that sort of mindset of what somebody thinks of, quote, problems, right? And what is a problem? And it's so individualized for everybody. But they don't, they don't have to work so hard at it. If you're staying curious with it, rather than fearful, then you can just stay in that space. But if you're afraid, now I've got to take action, you know? 
Yeah, I love that staying curious because curious is open, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. open to what is possibly there. Mm-hmm. And it's playful. And it's playful. Yes. So how do our listeners find you? I have a a private practice in Beverly Farms, Massachusetts. I'm on the Psychology Today website under Ann M. Flagg, L-I-C-S-W. I'm working on my website, so that will be up at some point. But probably that's the easiest way to track me down at this point. And I think parents would benefit from working with you, too. I mean, this has been really illuminating and the, the ripple effect, you start working with children and the impact that that work can have an entire family. And then if we think about it even larger, within a community. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I, I really do feel like that is an area that I, real, I, I do want to do a lot of work with because I've, I'm loving uh, working with the children. But I also, as a parent, my heart goes out to parents who are struggling. And I know what it feels like to be in that place of worry about your own child, and it's unnecessary. And I I feel like I just can really help people. It it just feels like such an unnecessary struggle. I actually feel like the kids are going to be fine. (laughs) I really do. I feel like, you know what, I mean, one of the things is I've got development on my side, so I look like a genius, you know? (laughs) But I, I feel like the kids are going to be fine. I'm more concerned about parents who really, uh, you know, they've got a lifetime ahead of them with a child. So if they don't ever, if they don't learn how to, to cope with the worry, then, you know, they, that's just because the kid grows up doesn't mean they're not going to, they're going to still in be in that pattern of worrying about their child. Yeah, so if they turn to wisdom, mm-hmm. allowing their own wisdom and the wisdom in their children yep. to be heard then we'll all be better off. Definitely. And trusting that we're always trying to find our way back home there to that well-being. Yep. yep. Well, thank you, Anne. This has been wonderful, illuminating, as I said before. I could spend another hour with you. <laughs> thank you so much. appreciate it. So bye for now, Lana. Bye, Linda. See you in the sandbox. You've been listening to Wise Women Speak. If you'd like to hear more, please visit us at wisewomenspeakpodcast.com. Find us on iTunes or anywhere you listen. 